0: Live from my man cave in Chesapeake, Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild. I'm your host, Blake, here to bring you the latest news, rumors, opinions, analytics, interviews, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild, Season 4, Episode 5. This is your host, Blake. The U.S. Men's National Team bounced back from their 2 nil loss in Hamilton, Ontario with a dominant see what I did there. 3-0 victory over Honduras in downright frigid temperatures at Allianz Field on Wednesday evening. With three games remaining in World Cup qualifiers, the U.S. men's national team sits second in CONCACAF qualifying on 21 points, four points behind Canada. I didn't think I'd be saying that, but here we are. So to break down all the action, I have invited sports analysts, hosts of the 11 vs. 11 podcast, admin of the U.S. men's national team's stand Twitter page, and diehard U.S. men's national team supporter, Adam Turner. Adam, welcome to MLS Wild.
1: Hey, Blake, good to be here, man. Excited to talk some national team soccer with you. And uh, it, it's, it's an exciting time, man.
0: It's a World Cup year, man. I'm excited. Are you excited?
1: We're in a World Cup year. You are very right. I, I remember like on New Year's, it was like right after kissing my wife, I was like, it's a World Cup year. Let's go.
0: <laughs> and now you just want to kiss the World Cup, don't you?
1: I do. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: I can't wait. So let's get into where your fandom of the US men's national team started. You coached D3 basketball at Bard College for a number of years. Tell me where that following for soccer came from. Why did you fall in love with the US MNT?
1: Yeah, definitely. Started O2 World Cup. Um, you know, that was that was the one that sucked me in. I had a you know World Cup party, 3 a.m. game versus Portugal, kicked off the O2 Cup. And it was like 30 people in my basement. And my mom was like freaking out because we were going nuts on every goal. And uh, and so honestly, it kind of started there. Like that whole cycle is when I really got into it. You know, I followed the 94 and 98 teams a little bit. But, you know, I played, played soccer growing up, played keeper in high school, played basketball as well. And, um, you know, USMNT has always been something probably more like the a lot of the fans. It's like every four years, it became something I followed, you know? And really when I became a, a head D3 basketball coach, which was 09 basketball became so all consuming in my life. And I feel like a lot of coaches like feel this, you get so consumed by your sport. You look for other outlets. Right. And so my outlet outside of, you know, especially during basketball season, my outlet outside of when I was actually running my team, watching my film, doing all that, it was no longer, Hey, I want to go watch a college basketball game. It was like, man, I would love to watch, you know, some, you know, Leicester city, you know, making their run to the, you know, Premier League championship, whatever it was, four or five years back. And so it really kind of got mid 2010s. I really got into following Premier League and European soccer. And then when Pulisic kind of, you know, really became on the rise, it was like, you know, Dortmund became like my team every weekend. And now it's like, you know, I'm not going to say there's, you know, 40 six but there's 40 guys to watch every weekend. So, that kind of has become my passion. Just, you know, I don't really have a favorite team. It's more just like, I want to watch our guys. And then, you know, through that, watch a lot of really good soccer in Europe. And then the MLS, especially in the last three, four years has become, you know, far more exciting for me because, you know, we have so many good young players in the MLS and the quality of MLS is going up too. Right. And so it's become, it's like year round now. Right. It's like, you know, like MLS, we're on like the summer cycle. And then that ends and it's like, I'm, you know, into European soccer. So it's fun, man. It's become an obsession for sure.
0: So before the podcast, you gave me a little bit of insight on what you do for work. You're kind of a sports analytics guy for a company that has now struck a big deal for FC Dallas and you're working with them. But you do follow MLS in general and you watch some of the guys. Who do you think are some of the guys that are the younger guys in MLS that are coming up that may be sold to Europe come the summer window or, or later that have some potential to make an impact on the USMNT?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, what's funny is it's, it's becoming one of those things. I think the Scally sale for me last year was like the indicator that like, there are so many because Scally was not a guy that a lot of us were like, yo, Joe Scally," like he didn't have that kind of rep. And when he got sold, a lot of us were like, whoa, Joe Scally to a Bundesliga team. And then a lot of people were like, well, he's not going to play there. And then, you know, fast forward nine months and he's starting games against Bayern, which is you know, been wild. So there's so many, you know, I think like, I'm still a, a Moses Nyman believer. You know, I know a lot of people kind of fell off the train cause you know, he struggled early, but I, you know, I, so I like him. I think he has a, a bright future. Aiden Morris has a bright future with you guys. And I know, you know, the crew is your squad and I know he was hurt this year, but he has a, a, a super bright future. Um, you know, and there's, 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 gosh, I mean, I feel like as I go around team to team, I think I know Ferrer just signed a deal, but I thought he, could go, you know, to Europe as well. And he's obviously a more well-known guy at this point, but I think he's going to go as well. And so it's a lot of fun, you know, I feel like on every team at this point, right? Like I've seen, you know, uh, Pod puts out like their, uh, you know, kind of players to watch every weekend, right? And in MLS season, they do it for MLS. And it's crazy at this point, how many guys are on that MLS list to watch. It's really cool. It's like two, three on every team, you know, Red Bulls, it was like, you know, Clark and Bassett. And like, so it's, it's, it's been really fun. Um, And I think all these guys have a bright future, but how do you possibly fit all these guys into a national team? You can't, right?
0: Shout out to our Academy system. They're producing a lot of these guys, the young guys that are going on to play professionally in the MLS and then going to Europe and then end up on the U S men's national team. And a couple of those guys were on this, On this Wednesday roster against Honduras, guys like Reggie Cannon for FC Dallas, Wesson McKinney, FC Dallas, Dallas. Kellen Acosta, (laughs) FC Dallas. I could go on and on. Ricardo Pepe, FC Dallas. Okay. But Wednesday's starting 11 featured seven different players than the 11 that started versus Canada. So before we get into our thoughts on the roster, I'll just list the roster for those that are listening. So in goal, my future goalkeeper at Arsenal, Matt Turner. Our defense from left to right: Jedi, Miles, Walker, and Reggie Cannon. Midfield: Kellen Acosta, Luca De La Torre, and Weston McKinney. Front three of Jordan Morris, Ricardo Pepe, and Timothy Weah. All three of those guys, uh, fresh starters that did not start in the the Canada game. So, what were your thoughts on that eleven to close out the window? Were there any surprises?
1: I was nervous, right? Like, I was nervous because we were missing. You know, obviously, you know, anytime you're you're coming into a game and it's like, okay, no Adams. No sick, you know, even though he'd been struggling, um, you know, and you kind of go on and on. It's like, okay, shh, how is this going to go? I was a little nervous, um, but I liked the guys we put in. Right, there weren't really any guys in there that I, you know, was like that adamantly against. I think I like Jordan Morris. I've advocated for him as like a guy that can be really good for us. I don't think starting him this window made a lot of sense to me. He just he didn't look like himself yet, which is understandable, right? Like. I think he needs this MLS season to get back. And so that would be my one that I was like, Ooh, is like, is Morris going to be good enough? And, you know, luckily other guys around him were, were good enough and he didn't hurt us. Right. He wasn't terrible, but, um, he wasn't the Jordan Morris, right. That, you know, has dominated for, for Seattle for, for a lot of years.
0: Yeah. I was generally okay with the starting 11. I wasn't necessarily happy with, the field conditions, but on this podcast, we're not going to get into that. Well, not necessarily the field conditions, but the weather in general mm-hmm. in Minnesota. But I was honestly, I was almost expecting a guy like Giassi Zardes to start because I expected Augsburg to call Greg Burhalter and say, hey, bro, we just paid 20 mil for this guy. Don't throw him out there in negative windshield temperatures like don't do it. So okay. I honestly wasn't surprised to see a Reggie Cannon. We saw him feature off the bench, I believe, in the second game. I was happy to see Luca De La Torre. We'll kind of get into his performance, I'm sure, later. He was really impressive. Weston, Weston featured in all three games. Did he play all 270? Do you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, he did. All
0: 270, and so did Jedi. So those were our two guys that went the full 270. Kellen, I mean... We'll get into him later too. I was happy with that. Jordan Morris, Mm -hmm. I wasn't so sure about that. Pulisic, who's been struggling with form. I thought maybe they would give him a jump from the start, but we saw maybe the super sub role fit him well in this game to gain some confidence. And Ricardo Pepe with his one and only start in this window. And our boy, Timothy Weah, who is cleared to play in America, but not Canada. And we found that out a little bit late. That was weird. But Timothy Weah was back. So I don't think there was really too many surprises for me. I was reasonably okay with the lineup.
1: Yeah I think you saw Burhalter's approach right which was like very clearly they were going all in on games 1 and 2 um you know and as a when I when I go fan mode I get nervous and I'm like oh no right when I go coach mode I'm like I get that right you went all in on the two tougher games you you kind of know that Honduras is you know fledgling right and <laughs> like struggling and so his approach was 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 solid right it was like the problem is we, when we didn't get the result in Canada, any result in Canada, game three became much more nerve wracking for all of us. And then we were also rotating. So it was like, oh, man. But the boys came through.
0: They sure did. And those three points were all that matters going into March. So let's take a look at some of the numbers from the U.S. men's national team versus Honduras match. And these are just a couple of the numbers that don't really tell the whole story. But these are the big numbers. U.S. men's national team won the possession battle 73-27. And I know possession doesn't tell you the whole story, but maybe in this game it was it told a little bit more of the story than others. Outshot Honduras 16-2, to whoa, uh, and scored three set-piece goals, which the U.S. Men's National Team has struggled with in the past. And they won just about every other statistical battle possible. So we're going to snowball here, Adam. What did you think of the U.S. Men's National Team's performance? Did you think it was as dominant as the stats suggested? And what were some of your keys to the match?
1: Yeah, dominant performance without a doubt, as expected, right? I mean that that's the thing when you actually look at this game logically, we we have to dominate, right? And we have to dominate in zero degree weather, ninety degree weather. We're just drastically better than that team, even rotating, you know, guys in. So took care of business, right? That's kind of the way I looked at it. It's like okay, cool, took care of business. Check that one off. You know, I'm not going to go crazy about the result in terms of like, hey, we're back and like everything is great because. I still got all my question marks still remain in terms of like, are we going to be able to create that much danger and play that fluidly against, um, you know, Mexico and Mexico, Costa Rica and Costa Rica and Panama at home who Panama made us look really bad. And granted we rotated in that game as well, but like they made us look really bad. So from, from the, that game's perspective, it was good. Right. And let's like chalk it up for what it is, but, when you look at the window it was the men like we have to beat El Salvador and Honduras at home right so I don't think any of us can go I'm so excited about the window <laughs> um, I you know good we stayed on track we didn't really pick up you know uh, you know a ton of ground um, and that's what I think all of us were hoping for right um, yeah and then your other question just the keys to the game I thought the keys to the game were really simple like don't do not let Honduras catch us on any sort of a break. Right. And I went back and like, watched that first game again. And that's, that's what they did. They caught us in a, in a really bad, off a really bad turnover. They just kind of, you know, caught us and, and broke lines and are, you know, everybody's broken that Brooks thing down. Right. But it was like, just bad play, bad play, no cover from Bello. goal. And I was like, don't let that happen. And then Honduras just like super bunker, you know, and us not be like, that was my worry. So I wanted like early goal, Don't let them get a counter. We're good if we do those two things. And that's pretty much exactly what we did.
0: Yeah, I agree. So I have a a number of keys here and you can tell me if I'm crazy and we can just bounce some ideas back and forth here. But my first key to the game is possession with a purpose. And I have some numbers to kind of back that. And I have a question to follow. So we had 262 passes in the opponent's half. That's 65.6% of our passes. So that only tells some of the story. 32.3% Thirty-two point three percent of the USMNT's passes went forward, so we played a decent amount of progressive passes, and a lot of those, I will note here, that it really impressed me were from Miles Robinson playing line-breaking progressive passes. Jedi did a couple in the first half as well, so I think that's pretty key to breaking down a four-four-two block and you know beating that initial line of pressure. So I liked those progressive passes. And then 59.7 of the U.S. men's national team's possessions ended in the final third compared to just 45 and percent versus Canada. And then 0.21 shots per possession versus Honduras versus 0.07 shots per possession versus Canada. So looking at all of that, like, yes, we always, it looked mostly like we always got to the final third and we did it in a variety of different ways, whether it was with buildup or counter pressing or what have you, but, Let's get down to the, the the real story here. Three of our four goals in this window came from set pieces. Are you concerned about the USMNT's ability to score goals versus the low block and the run of play?
1: Yes, <laughs> I think we simply all simply put, yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 It's like that is that is what's worrisome because I I don't know exactly how Panama will play us. I'm fairly sure Costa Rica is going to you know be pretty conservative. I, I have to imagine we're going to see that in both of those games. And so, yeah, you know, the thing that's encouraging, right, is, is Blake, is like, we did create a lot of chances in games one and three. And El Salvador didn't really bunker us. They, you know, they were they were more pressed up. But, it, like, we still we, – were creating run of – and, you know, Canada, we we – created, you know, two thirds of a chance a lot, and then just weren't able to connect the final pass. So it's the same thing I've seen for a while with us. You know, I I was like putting videos out in the summer post nations league about like how many half chances we create and then don't make the final pass. I remember like, you know, putting, putting out a a video about how we had like 25 of those, you know, in the two nations league games. And so I'd like to see us I'd like to see Timmy Weah start to square that ball to Pepe, you know, and I'd like to see Aronson drop it off to Dest in the Canada game instead of taking shots into bodies and, yeah, like, you know, and Pepe square the ball back potentially to Morris, right? There's all these moments that, uh, you know, I've got 10 more in my head that it just one piece of composure at the end versus taking the lower percentage shot is going to get us. Goals in the run of play. And so like I feel like we're almost there and we're like ready to break through. And we just can't quite do it. And um, yeah, it's it's gotta make us nervous though, right? Like, but it's good to see the set pieces come alive, honestly. And like the hope, I know everybody's hope is like, okay, well, I don't think we want to play Kellen over you know Tyler Adams, but it would be nice to have that set piece, you know, take her. And so I think all of our hope is like, well, Geo, you know, hopefully Geo can do that and be that guy. Cause we dominated Mexico in set pieces in the summer. And it just like, and even like our first game against them, we looked really good in set pieces against them. So that's my hope against Mexico is let's go get like a 1-0, you know, or a two, two, one score a set piece, get a run a play goal and go get a win at the Azteca. Um, but I, I don't know, hopefully it's coming, you know, I feel like it is.
0: Yeah. We're talking about end product and, and Greg Berhalter's system. I feel like a lot of the times, our end product ends at the feet of our fullbacks. A lot of times we like to get our fullbacks high, whether that's Serginho Dest or the last game, Reggie Cannon and Jedi. And to be honest with you, their crossing just hasn't been good enough. And that's where a lot of our attacks have, have diminished, have ended is in their crossing.
1: Yeah. And I think we need, you know, that's another, like that's also composure, right? Like I'm not saying don't play the ball down the wings and try and cross in like that's do it. But I just think we need a little bit more of the action that happened between McKinney and Weah, right? Which is a little bit, you know, more intricate soccer. It's tougher to do, you know, playing a ball down a wing and hopefully chucking it into the middle is a little easier to do, but we need to be able to generate, you know, these five pass sequences that play through zone 14 and go through the middle third of the field. and you know, uh, we're able to, you know, play a through ball or like the accosted away, right over the top, like actions like that are what are going to produce higher XG and higher, per, you know, uh, percentage chances for us versus just kind of, you know, playing it up the wing and hopeful cro- like w- crosses are really effective in transition. That's always my feel, right? Like if you look at a lot of our crossed in goals, they happen in transition. So one, the guy making the cross usually has more space to cross and more space to pick out the pass. And then two, you have numbers in the box, or at least like a three-on-three three in the box. And so you can kind of do it a little bit easier. Think about like the Weya to Pulisic goal against Mexico. Like that was off pretty much like a turnover, an outlet pass for Musa. weya made a 1v1, crossed it in, and Pulisic caught them off with a, you know, with a backside run. What I don't like is when we, against the low block, right? We, you know, make five slow passes, spray it wide, make a half one-on-one move and floated into, you know, eight guys in a box, you know, that's not high percentage play. So um, we got to really figure out, I think how to play a little bit more through the middle of the field when people are low blocking us.
0: Looking at the past couple games, I've been looking at different heat maps and just seeing where our central midfielders, Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, whenever those guys are in or whenever Christian Pulisic floats in, I, I look at these heat maps and there's legitimately nobody in this window other than jesus ferreira who was essentially playing the false nine that popped up in zone 14 like we just don't have action there everything goes through the wide channels but you talk about teams playing in the, in the low block and we're getting a lot of that in Concacaf. obviously we have to be the protagonists. a lot of teams are going to sit in and make us beat them i asked you if it concerned you that we can't beat the low block but one thing that concerns me i think that we're going to qualify for the world cup but when we go to the World Cup, I don't think teams are going to low block us. We're going to go against different tactical approaches, and everything that we've been approaching in qualifiers isn't going to apply.
1: Like, I've thought about that so much, like, that, you know, it's so, it's kind of weird. I, and I'll give you like a college basketball analogy. It's like when, like, a mid major team in college basketball, right? Like, there's some mid major teams that dominate their league in college basketball, and they have like a, a little bit more of a gimmicky system, right? They press. They, you know, play some sort of zone, they, you know, do something that, you know, works in their league, but when they go up against better talent, it's not gonna work, right? I actually think what we're building is the opposite of that. I think like we're we're so good in transition, we're so good when teams come at us and we can absorb, defend, and go back at them that it's that's actually what the World Cup, I you know, knock on wood here. <laughs> That's what at least two of the group games, I guarantee you, we're going to feel like that in the world cup. And that makes me pretty hopeful because we're good at that. <laughs> you know, like we're, we actually, we're good at defending and we're good at, you know, like quick transition play. And, you know, we're good at, you know, honestly, we're going to be a team that if you give us 40% possession and we kind of do what Canada did to us, hopefully not quite as extreme, but like we went, you know, we go 42 possession, but you don't get many great chances. And, you know, we're on the counter against you. I think we're going to, th- I think we can thrive in that mode. So I'm a little more optimistic than a lot of people out there about the world cup because of that. And and that's such a good point.
0: No, that's a really good perspective with guys like Timothy way Gio Reyna, whenever he gets healthy, looks like he's getting healthy. Now Christian Pulisic, we have guys that can be really, really dangerous in transition, you know? So if we do sit in like, John Herdman's Canada team and do what they did to us. Like, I think that is a recipe for success against those teams that want to dominate possession. And Greg Berhalter has to swallow his pride and concede the possession. Okay. That's, that's just up to him. But my only other key to the match is our urgency on the counter press against Honduras. I think that we turned Honduras over and then immediately had that killer instinct. And we went forward that next pass after the turnover was always forward. There was Luca De La Torre, whether he turned them over and then he dribbled into space or there was a Kellen Acosta moment with the, the sweet swivel of the hips. And then he went forward with it. And one of my, all the small things I'll highlight upcoming in the next segment, but we looked as soon as we turned them over to immediately go forward. And we tried to dominate them, although it never ended in a goal, the end product, but we were always looking to go forward right after the turnover.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I read this, uh, this, this, article is about like the Ralph Ragnick and obviously he's kind of a hot name right now being at, at Man U and they've been down and up with him and they're a little bit more up right now but like the the whole premise right of that system and I think like Bielsa has a similar mindset it's like everything forward and like then be aggressive be hyper aggressive go forward and then when we lose it be hyper aggressive to get it back in that space and then want you know so it's like go forward, push from the you know back third to the final third. We turn it over, turn them back over in the middle third, and go forward again into the final third. And I, to me, that fits our personnel. Like when I look at our guys, you know, what does Musa and even McKenny, as good as he's been, and Pulisic recently for sure, and Weya, what do all these guys struggle with? They struggle, you know, against like set defense, low block, you know, t- super tight space. And what do they thrive in? They thrive when you give them room. If you give them room, all those guys are monsters and really, really hard to defend. And so that's why everything you're saying, just to me, like hits the head, you know, nail on the head where it's like, you know, if we can develop a style, like you said, if Greg can give up possession and be like, I'm okay and be okay saying, okay, we might only have 42 possession, but like, you're not going to get much good against us. And we're going to go let our guys play where they're at their absolute best. To me, that makes a lot of sense. And you know what it reminds me of? The Mexico game, (laughs) which was by far our best game that I've seen a U.S. men's national team play in at least a decade, it feels like, you know? And so, and that's what we did all game long, right? We didn't, we I don't want to say like we never possessed, but we weren't like pinging it around and passing 32 times. It was a couple passes. Let's go direct. Oh, we turned it over. Let's dominate them in the midfield. And that's what we did all game.
0: Yeah, and we had two guys- and the Honduras match Luca De La Torre and Wes McKinney that are really good about using their body closing space and you talked about it on your Twitter today and I'll I'll give you the the pedestal here Kellen Acosta thrives with guys like that around him yeah
1: absolutely like that's yeah we yeah that, that I was kind of like thinking about that today I was like gosh you know it's really unfair we're all judging Kellen Acosta but he's been like thrown around right like he's play, played fullback he's played a little six with like a fully rotated roster he's played eight you know he has to come into games late and so it was cool to get to see him for the first time in a long time just be like hey this game's yours bud like this game's yours and you got some good players around you don't do what you don't do do what you do perfectly well and when Acosta does that he's and not, a, not just Acosta all of our guys when all of our guys just like this is who I am let me play to it they're good. And that's what Pulisic's really struggling with right now. I think I think he's trying to be like eight things at once for us. And, and whether it's the tactics or him or whatever, he just needs to go do what he does. Just like, go be you. And like, you're really special at that. And, uh, and, and Acosta. Yeah. I mean, Acosta just thrived
0: doing that, man. He sure did. All right. So Adam, now we're going to go over to our segment. Bear with me here. I'm going to sing to you. All the small things where adam and i break down a play in the match that may have gone overlooked could be a run to clear space a tactical adjustment a defensive effort anything adam what you got man
1: yeah mine is so i think you know luca got a lot of hype right and i think a lot of the uh rightfully so right he did a great job he had like you know five progressive runs in the game and he was you know really good about making passes into the final third and and I want to highlight something that was a little bit different, and it's a lot of the reason why I've really liked him, and why I've like fought back against people who maybe don't know his game as well, and are like, "Really? You know, he doesn't have any goals or assists, you know, in Netherlands, which isn't that good of a league." He did this thing in the sixty-first, sixty-first, sixty-second minute. If anybody wants to go back and watch it, we uh, were on the attack for a while. Honduras turned us over. We counter-press, right? Just like I think exactly what you just said. I think you know, I think it might have been Cannon who poked the ball away to Acosta kind of right at the top of zone 14 and Acosta didn't have anywhere, you know, forward to go, which was fine. And he kind of recycled back to, you know, to, to, uh, to, Jedi, Jedi played over to miles and Luca comes charging into like this, you know, little, it's not a, not a big space, a small space. And miles played one of those passes you talked about earlier, played a great little line breaking pass. And if you watch when Lucas charging into this space, his head and his eyes are not forward to miles, they're behind him. It's really cool to watch, right? And you're like, you see him just staring behind him. And this is the stuff, right? Like, I know this is MLS kind of wild, but like, this is the stuff that when players are, when they progress in their careers, right? And they learn how to play in smaller space. And that happens in MLS. It happens for 18 year olds in MLS, right? If an 18 year old moves into MLS from the academy ball, they're gonna learn how to play in smaller space, right? And when you go from MLS to, uh, you know, to, to, to the Netherlands, it's a little smaller. When you go from Netherlands to the EPL, it's even smaller. And so I think this is something that Luca's has really done a good job of developing in, in his time in Netherlands is he knows where he has to look going into spaces to prepare to turn if there is a turn. Right. And this is something that I've really struggled with a lot of our eights with. They don't have good vision before they need to have vision. And so this is a position 1,000%, not to pick on Legette. I know everybody picks on him. I've picked on him. But it's a place where Legette plays back to Zimmerman, 100%. He would, you know, just ping a little ball back to Zimmerman. Nothing bad about that, right? Keep it moving. But Legette's habit of peeking over his shoulder as he's making that run, he knows as the ball comes to him, I can half turn right here, and there's space to go into. Takes one touch, passes up to Wea. Wea plays a ball, uh, you know, I think into uh, to Weston. And, you know, I don't even think anything dangerous happened after that, but Weston got a touch in the box and a chance to cross. And I think Weston like played it back and, you know, we got something okay out of it, but it was the exact example of what all of us, you know, I think want out of our eights, which is we want our eights when the opportunities are there to advance it, please do that at 80% at an 80% rate. You know, like that's all we're asking. It's never going to be a hundred. And that was the value of Luca. It's not just like, okay, he got on the ball and looked really cool dribbling fast. It was, he understands the space that, um, that he has around him. And he knows when to turn and when not to turn.
0: His spatial awareness is all the small things. Everything that Luca De La Torre did just blew me away in this match. I think early in the match, he wasn't fantastic. He didn't blow me away, but as the match went on, he did grow into the match and he really showed his quality. It
1: took him 20 minutes. I yeah. totally agree. Cause I was like for 20 minutes, like, Oh, Luca, come on. It took him 20 minutes, but like, I'm willing to give a guy 15, 20 when it's their first start in zero degree. That was kind of my approach. I was like, I'll give you 20, bud.
0: Absolutely. And as a former midfielder and somebody that watches high-quality midfielders play the game, just somebody that's constantly checking their shoulder, looking for the space, being spatially aware. And there were a number of times in the game where he would be on the dribble and he would get past a couple guys into open space after finding the space itself. And then even though he's past the guys, he's looking back to see where they're at. There was there was one play though, and this isn't my small thing, but it was one of his first progressive dribbles. He was on the left hand side off of a turnover. It was right after the foul. Very similar looking play. He broke out and he had Jordan Morris on the right hand side. He could have switched it over to, and he just missed him. But yeah, Luca De La Torre was phenomenal. His you
1: know, I'll, I'll, I'll say before you get to your small thing, you you've sprung something in me, right? Which is like I made this video about uh, about Busio uh, earlier this year, and it was about. You know, just like I was kind of watching him, and what is he doing, right? You know, in Venezia, what is he doing his game in general? And one of the things I highlighted was it was this, it's this basketball habit that we used to teach called checking your mirrors, right? And so if you're a point guard pushing the ball up the court, you know we want you to check almost like you're in a car, right? Like check your left hand mirror, check your right hand mirror. Who's who's ahead of me? Who's with me? Who's behind me? Both defensively and offensively, right? Gives me the information. And like the other phrase we used to use a lot was you you now have chess game vision, right? you can see multiple moves into the past and multiple moves into the future. Right. And so that's what Luca does really well. He has almost like that point guard chess game vision just because of the habit of like, you know, checking his mirrors constantly scanning and seeing what's around him. I will knock him on this. I thought either a lot of his passes weren't, were like just off in terms of their weight, or he was like one touch off from making Pulisic a perfect pass for a goal. Like, you know, he took one extra touch. So, you know, and that's nitpicking, like, but you know, like, what I loved is he was getting himself there, right? And to me, if good players get there often enough, they'll figure out, you know, like the timing on those passes. But it was, yeah, so cool to see him constantly getting into those spaces.
0: It's not something that we've been used to seeing with a Acosta legit midfield's rolled on midfield. So it was really nice, and not even him just checking his his shoulder and being spatially aware. He creates angles really well for his teammates to receive the passes. And not only creating the angles, but shaping his body in a manner that he can go forward immediately. All the fundamentals of the game just jumped off the screen when I watched Luca De La Torre. I loved it. And
1: like you talk about small things. He made, um, you know, I talked about that run back into space. But he made like four forward charging runs that were like. There, I'm telling you, right? Like you'd have to almost like break them down and watch them. But like it was like, oh, way I hit him. Like I was, you know, rewatching all these actions on Y Scout. And it was like, oh my gosh, he could have gotten like Luca in for potentially a goal right there. So he, you're so right. He just this it's like space, he's a you know, spatial awareness, just like you know, that some would call
0: his, him that, a uh space merchant.
1: Space merchant, that's what they call him on on uh on stuff, right? But like he that is his like special skill. Steve Nash used to say, like everybody in the NBA is top one percent at something, you know. And to me, like Luca, if you're you know going under that same logic, he's top one percent at understanding space. I think for sure.
0: Do you think it's pretty much a lock now that he's probably the backup number eight to Eunice Musa? Uh, I think there'll
1: still be a little bit of a battle. I, you know, I think I think Greg has liked what Busio's given us. I haven't, you know to be fair, it's Honduras, right? Like I, you know, who knows Busio gets into that game. Maybe, you know, he absolutely shines with what he does. So I don't want to say it's a lock that he's the guy. Um, but I, I think Manny made a really good case, huh?
0: Yeah, I think so too. So before we beat the Luca De La Torre tree all day long, I'll get into my, all the small thing In the 20th minute, the U S men's national team played a wonderfully crafted up back and through from miles to McKenney to Adams. And then it found the feet of Reggie Cannon. And that's not my all the small thing, even though it may seem like it is because I've been talking about it all night. But Miles' progressive line-breaking passes were on point and necessary for breaking down the initial line of the Honduras 4-4-2 block. And he did it often throughout the first half. And we need that kind of distribution, like I said, out of the back, especially as the protagonist in most CONCACAF matches. But back to my main point, everyone is going to remember Timothy Weah's 20th minute shot that was tipped just wide, but it was the work from Jedi that stood out to me. Cannon's cross made its way all the way through the 18 and it looked as though Honduras were going to get an easy clearance before Jedi absolutely hawked down his man, bodied him, skipped the safe pass to McKinney and found Weya, who damn near curled in a beauty, the urgency to pin Honduras and their defensive third and the killer instinct of Jedi to find a danger, man. That was my all the small thing.
1: Yeah. I love that. And you know, Jedi catches way too much slack. And I think it's people who love like, only the version of soccer that's like beautiful and possession oriented and a guy who's clean and like the thing jedi is once again fitting into this theme i said before about what our players are good at is the dude plays his butt off he is so dangerous when he gets like ahead of steam and honestly like think about the he made the pass to ferrera on ferrera's first shot in game one right like same kind of play like got the ball like played it into a gap he makes a lot of really dangerous plays. And like, I I loved, I'm I'm glad you pointed that one out. I remember in the moment, like standing up and being like, Ooh, like not, not on the shot. Like as he won the ball, it's like, let's go. Like I loved it.
0: Yeah. And he's so fast and he can be so physical. He's a really good tackler. And that play just really stood out to me. But at the very end of my, all the small things, I said that he didn't make the easy pass. He had Weston McKinney with the angled pass backwards where maybe Weston McKinney could have switched it and rotated out to the other side, but instead he found one of our most dangerous players this window, Timothy Weah, the man that you just highlighted, Luca De La Torre, he did it constantly throughout the match, but thinking back, I don't remember which minute it was in, but he won the ball back with the defensive action, and he could have played the ball back to, I believe it was Jedi who was providing him an angle. Instead, he found Kellen square and then we got out the other side and it may not always be the first pass being that progressive pass to go forward it may be the pass before the pass and that was something we did throughout the match and Cal Nikasa did it with when I said his swivel of the hips that could have been a small thing as well he received a ball from the center back he was headed to him bouncing ball into his feet and he could have swung it first time to Jedi instead he turned his man and immediately found the furthest guy up the field Timothy Weah So that tactic throughout the game was just, it it kept happening. And that's something that the U.S. men's national team needs to continue to do when they're playing against that low block and teams that play that tactic.
1: Yeah, you know, my last point about Jedi, and I was just kind of thinking about this as as we were talking about him. I'm sitting here thinking about all of the, a lot of most of the dangerous actions I can think against us. So few are down the right-hand side, right, of the field for the offense. So down our left-hand side. And really, I can't think of a a goal or a, a time offhand. I'm sure he has been, but like, it's so rare that he gets beat defensively at this point. He's been so rock solid defensively tracking back. Cause I know he's so far forward a lot. He's always like sprinting back to get back into plays and, you know, break stuff up. And so he's been so good. He's, he's absolutely undeniable at this point for me, you know, and I know he's not for some people still, which is crazy to me, but like the dude is just putting in shifts.
0: Yeah. And his closing speed is crazy. And the depth that the, left back spot isn't great like sammy vines george Bello. i mean serginio dest honestly if we had to is probably above both of those guys if we had to play him out left i i think jedi probably furthered himself from that group not that he had to but i think he yeah.
1: did I, so, I agree i mean he's he's all but a a, a lo- absolute lock you know like if i had to like bet on lock starters like he, he's not that far down the list for like lock starters for guitar for me you know i just it would, it would take a lot for somebody to pass him at this point in the next, you know, nine months.
0: Yeah, I don't foresee it happening whatsoever. Yeah. So we're talking about Jedi's performance. Who were your top performers against Honduras? Jedi, other people, who is it?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the three ones you've heard a lot. And I, uh, you know, Luca we already talked about, you know, McKenney's just been a beast. He was good in this game as well. Acosta, we've talked about a lot. And I I, I would say I love all three of those picks. But my, my man of the match was a guy that honestly, like, I didn't realize until I watched it back because the game that Tim Weah had probably wasn't quite as loud as some of his uh, previous games that he's had recently. But when I watch back, you know, I always watch back everybody's, you know, everybody's all actions, right? And he, he was so good again. Like there is like, there is life and there is fluidity and there is just like a, a zest on the right side of the field right now, right? No matter who we put over there. If It's Musa over there with him. If it's Dest, it was Cannon out there with him. It was Luca out there with him. It's been, you know, I, I, you know, said Musa. And so, like, what is the common denominator there? It's Tim Weya, man. You know, like the one game that he didn't play, and, and you know, I like Brendan Harrison. There just wasn't quite as much going on over there. And if you watch back Tim Weya's all actions, it is unreal. Like, I, I know the, the McKinney one's gotten a lot of praise, and I've heard a lot of people talking about that one because it was so beautiful. But he had, you know, like the run that Acosta played, you know, into him. He had, you know, a play down the left hand side that was really, really neat and just tidy. He had a, a two, three combinations with Luca that didn't end up, you know, leading to a shot, but were just really nice little actions. He had a, a ball to Pepe that was really good. He had a, a, I don't know if I don't know if you remember it. it was like a, it looked exactly like the Pulisic play. He was like one v one on the right. He kind of made a, a you know little step over, you know, move toward the, the, the end line and he kind of hooked this cross in and watching it back. Pepe just didn't make the run on time. Like if Pepe had started the run when he should have, he would have been on it in the exact same way Pulisic was in the Mexico game. And, and then, you know, he won the corner for the third goal. And And like, he was so active again. I think he's giving our team so much life, man. I just think like we are feeding off that juice and energy and like, Here's my everything is a basketball comp for me, right? Because that's, you know, been like my life's passion. He is Draymond Green. And here's why I say that. He, you know, Draymond Green is not a guy who puts up a ton of points, you know, he's never going to be remembered as a stat guy, you know, gets a decent amount of boards and assists, but not a stack guy. But he is the ultimate guy that you want to play with, right? Like, if you ask the Warriors who their favorite guy to play with is, it's like, we love Dre. Like Dre gets us all the ball. He sets every screen. He like knows how to play. And to me, that's way like all these great things are happening around him. And he's the opposite of Pulisic right now, right? Pulisic's like, give me the ball, stick it to me and I'm going to do something. And it's going to take me a long time to do it. way like, you know, tick, tack, tick, tack, bing, bang, boom. I make the run. You make the run. I play you the ball. You play me the ball. And it's just, it's so beautiful, man. And, and I thought he had, I looked at, uh, you know, I made the, the, the mortal sin of, of looking at game ratings, you know? And it was like 6.5. I was like, gosh, 6.5 is low. Like, I thought he was okay. And then I watched his game and I was like, if that's a 6.5, give me a 6.5 every game. Like, and I, you know, I think a lot of what he did just didn't quite come off this game in the same way it has. Um, but once again, I, I'm, I'm more a guy like, give me a guy who's doing really good stuff and it's gonna, you know, eventually come off.
0: Yeah, Timothy Way is so important. The first five minutes of that second half when him and Wes and McKinney were legitimately out there just playing street ball. They were freestyling. It was so fun. One two touch combination, both of those guys moving for each other off the ball. It was one of the most five minutes I've ever had watching a US MNT match. Hey,
1: before you keep the scuff yeah. guy said, I think I think Velasquez said that would have been the greatest US goal I've ever seen. And he said that, and I was like, whoa, easy. And I agree, like, it wouldn't have been my favorite all-time goal or the best all-time goal, but I can't offhand think of two players, right? I I know it's happened, right? Everything's happened, but, like, nothing sticks out to me, and especially not recently, where it's, like, two players passed back and forth five times, right, in the manner that they did with minimal touches. And so it was, you know, obviously it it was a little over the top, but, like, the point is it would have been one of the nicer interplay goals that we've seen in a long time.
0: Yeah. And it's the manner in which both of those guys carry themselves as well. The amount of swagger that both of those guys play with. And yeah, they were doing the one, two touch passing and that looks good, but just something about those two guys, they play, like I said, with, with a swagger and their first step after they pass the ball into space, it, it almost looks slow-mo, but they're blowing by the guy. They're two of our most athletic players on this team. And it jumps off the screen at you. It screams like I'm better than you. And when, when those two guys can combine, I mean, it's absolutely electrifying, and Scuffed is absolutely right. If that, if they would have scored that goal, that would have been it would have been up there, Hang it mean, in the Louvre, would, man, Hang it in the Louvre. especially, especially
1: if Wea had squared it to Pepe, which just would have oh. been so dirty. Like it just oh. would have been so dirty if he squared it to Pepe for a tap in. It literally would have been like that would have been a prime like 2010 Spain goal. Like I, it just would have been yeah. so beautiful. Um, my, my last point on on Wea, I put out a poll yesterday just to see where everybody stood like what, you know, what combination do you want, you know, on the right side, you want Geo in the midfield, Geo on the ring, right, et cetera. I was shocked that like 40% of the people who answered it wanted way up somewhere other than the right wing. They wanted they a no shot. striker. <laughs> I was shocked. I was like, no, 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 no. It's, it's literally the, one of the only things that's working for us right now. Don't mess with it.
0: You said Jedi was probably a lock at left back. And I a hundred percent agree with that. And from this past window, well, the two games that he played in, I would say Timothy Way is probably a, a lock at the right wing spot. Listen,
1: we have one window left, right, and then like we don't have a lot of other first team soccer. I know there's going to be a little bit here and there with some Nations League stuff and some other things going on, but there's not much, right? Like, and so it's going to be really hard unless Waya, you know, totally falls off with the club in a way that's just like un- unforeseeable. It's hard to imagine that this whole stretch. And the, the equity he's going to build up, right. Isn't going to earn him a starting spot on the right wing.
0: It's his spot to lose. If Gio wants it, he's got to come earn that spot. Yeah, I agree. But it's, it's good that we have this kind of problem that we can have this kind of discussion as USMNT fans. We have depth, we have flexibility. Our players are, are versatile. It's nice. But one more thing about way before we move on, because we'll just keep moving after this, but way We just talked about that goal and how it would have been one of the nicest goals in USMNT history with this combination play. He's a pretty good tactical player. He's really clean on the ball, whether it's one touch, two touch, and then he can also get in behind you with his speed and his 1v1 ability. So he's a really versatile right winger, and he can beat you in a number of ways, which poses a huge, huge problem for defenses. He's a nightmare. All right, Adam. So we talked about our key player it was really only timothy way because we highlighted all those guys previously luca de la acosta all those guys but what were your overall thoughts on the window like what was your before the window what did you want did you want seven did you want all nine what were your thoughts on the six point window in general were yeah you happy I thought, content
1: I, I thought we had to get a result at canada um you know my my hunch was that seven points was going to you know put us in a position where we would be. um you know, five, five to six points up, you know, we're, we're four points clear of Panama, right? So, I mean, an extra point even gets us to five, which just gives you a little bit more wiggle room, I think, you know, and I, obviously we all wanted nine, but Canada's good, you know, I knew Canada would, would play us tough, so seven or nine, and so I think six is a little bit of a disappointment, to not get a result in Canada is a little disappointing to me, it's not the end of the world, but, um, you know, I would I would say I came out of the window nervous for next window slightly disappointed in the in you know in in the performance of the canada game i thought look watching it back i was too emotional right after the el salvador game watching it back the el salvador game was drastically better i I agree with a lot of the guys who who are are, are speaking to the xg of that game like we we were good I, i i watched that back we were good in that one so i don't know mixed feelings man i've got a lot of scar tissue from 2017 still left over so I think that impacts a lot of my views still, you know, it's natural, right? Like we're emotional beings and like somewhere deep in me is this, please know, <laughs> like don't make us go to Costa Rica needing a result, please. And so there's like a lot of nerves right now and it comes from the passion, right? So,
0: so looking back at the window, I, I mean, I feel the same exact way you, I wanted nine, seven would have been great, at least getting a result at Canada. It didn't happen, but here we are sitting second in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying before moving into the final stage in March. But still looking at this entire window, I'll give you my top five players of the window in general. Okay, and I'll have you give yours. Weston McKinney, Timothy Weah, Jedi, Serginho Dest, and this one's kind of a flyer, Miles Robinson.
1: I, you know, what's funny is I came into this window. I made, you know, a couple of videos about, you know, John Brooks and I think how important it would have been to have him. And I don't actually disagree with that. I, I you know, I think that I don't think we hundred percent needed him. Um, I don't think we hundred percent needed him in the El Salvador game. Just being honest. I think they pressed us and, you know, we didn't need to play you know, a ton of long balls, but I think his passing could have unlocked something in Canada so I'm don't, I don't, not like fully off like John Brooks, and I, I'd say what I am though is I'm I'm far more confident. What you are with Miles in this window, I am with Zimmerman. I think Zimmerman's passing in the El Salvador game, it was something I was very worried about. You know, I made a video about how bad his passing was in the Jamaica game, and it was. <laughs> but he he passed it drastically better, and he played a little bit simpler. He didn't try and quite do as much going long. So I think Zimmerman's in my top five in terms of you know, performances from this window. Um, and then my, my other four are going to be similar to yours. And I think it's hard to kind of come out of that window, not thinking Weston, you know, Wea uh, Jedi, you know, are, are those three are like locks. I feel like everybody's going to say those three, cause those three were so big for us. Um, you know, my, my fifth guy, you know, it's, you know, less like a player of the window. Cause he only played in one game, But it's like, you know, he's almost like my guy to watch, you know, so I'll put him fifth is is Luca and like what he can bring to us. And it's more like what what can he bring to us next window when we have to rotate at the eight? It's hard to play or when we have to bring in an eight late in the game to do something for us. He very clearly now has said, hey, guys, you can you can rotate me in and I could I could create something. Hey, you can bring me in late for Musa when his legs are dead and bring me on, and I'm lively. Like, I'm going to make something happen if we need a goal, you know, late in the Panama game. And so it's just like, you know, how badly we've needed that in the midfield. We've had no impact sub in the midfield, in my opinion, uh, in forever. <laughs> like, I can't remember a, a, an impact sub. And he looked like a guy that could be an impact sub, and so really pumped to see if he can be that.
0: Yeah, I agree. And also Kal Costa Kal Nacosta put in that shift against Honduras as well. Those are two guys that if you sur- – more so for Kellen, if you surround him with the right pieces, he you're setting him up for success. Luca De La Torre, and, yes, he is absolutely – superstar don't
1: forget, Tyler Adams is on a yellow. And if Tyler Adams gets a yellow, we are it will be Kellen Acosta. So, like, very similar to Luca, it was good to see Kellen do that because it's, it's like, okay, if Adams gets it, at least we know that Kellen can do it if he has good guys around him. It's good to see it again.
0: Yeah, those two guys definitely prove their worth. Are there any guys that you think were disappointing their stocks went down for the U.S. m this window?
1: Yeah. You know, st- stock down, you know, your guy, you know, Zardes. I just I I, I root for him every time, you know, and I, I was a big Zardes guy three, four, five years ago. I was like, I can't like I thought he was just going to be like a dude for us. I thought he was going to be the next, you know, the next Josie. And he just hasn't brought what he brings when I watch him with Columbus. He hasn't been able to bring that in the same way. And so I, you know, I, I think it's his stock down again for him. You know, I think he had a chance. All these nines have chances. It's stocked down for Pepe. In my opinion, I actually think Ferreira's stock is up, you know, to be honest, I thought he showed something that, um, that not a lot of other guys, you know, have shown playing at the nine. And I know he didn't finish it, but he like, he showed it. He's, there was a spark there, you know, that was like, there's something there, but Pepe Zardes are two. Um, I, I would say Moose's stock has kind of, you know, stayed level for me. I know Adams and Pulley didn't have great windows, but like for me, their stock, it's kind of like when, um, you know, it's like when Apple goes down for me, you know, it's like, okay, sure. Apple went down in the last week, but like, it's Apple, you know, like it's so I don't know, technically their stock went down, but um, you know, for me, it's, uh, I feel, I feel good about those guys. So really just the nines. I mean, who else you got, Blake?
0: So my two guys and Jordan Morris might be harsh. You know, this is his first USMNT start since what, like 2017. He hasn't started since then. Yeah. Yep. So it, it could be harsh. He didn't impress me against Honduras. He didn't do anything terribly wrong, but it just wasn't impressive, but time will tell with him, I suppose. I don't, I do foresee Greg Berhalter giving him more opportunities and maybe in this next window, we'll see. But my one guy that was disappointing to me was, was Reggie Cannon, especially in the Honduras game. He occupied good spaces, but what Greg Berhalter wants is a guy that can do it on both sides of the ball, both defensively and in the attack. And there were a number of times late in the second half when Timothy Weah had just shredded the right side uh, or the left side of that Honduras defense. And, Reggie Cannon had an opportunity to exploit space and make make a nice through ball pass, and he looked really, really unsure of himself. He looked nervous. He wanted to be safe. He didn't look like he fit that mold that Greg Berhalter wanted in that game where those guys were coming out and they were making the unsafe passes. He looked unsure of himself. I wasn't sold, and the right back spot is pretty deep. There's a lot of depth there, and I think Reggie Cannon might have just dropped down the spot
1: it's like deep, but it's open. Right. So it's like, you're, you're spot on. It's like, guys are going to play them their way out. And, you know, I, I'll be honest. And I I tried to think about this. How would I feel about Joe Scally, a guy I love, but like if Joe Scally put that kind of performance in against that Honduras team, I'd be really disappointed. (laughs) I'd be like, Ooh, thought you'd give us more against a a team like that. And so I got to hold Reggie to that same exact standard. You know, I I try and not let my biases come in. We all do, obviously, but I try and not let it come in. But, yeah, like, he, Reggie, I said this, you know, last night on, on the on the, the first touch base. He gave a performance that I would expect any run-of-the-mill right back to give against that level of competition. And that's not good enough for the national team, right?
0: Absolutely not. Not when you're playing and competing a guy like Serginio Dest that's throwing double scissors and flying by guys combining. You have, to, you have to hold up to that kind of standard to keep your spot. And there's guys that are under you that are competing for that spot. Yeah, and
1: even, like, Yedlin's now, like, put in some, like, gritty games, right? Like we know Yeti Yeti can be like our gritty guy and like give you that toughness and like what he's done against Mexico. And so for Ken, it's like, well, okay, you're not gonna be able to prove the grit in the Honduras game. They're not gonna be coming at us, but you gotta prove like, hey, I'm way better than him offensively. You didn't do that.
0: Yeah, he was really, really underwhelming. So we'll see if he gets called in for the, the March qualifiers. Speaking of the March qualifiers, we sit second in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. And in March, we play, the third, fourth, and fifth place teams in Concacaf: Mexico, Panama at home, and then Costa Rica away. In which I'm pretty sure we've never won. That's
1: right. That is correct.
0: Yikes! And that's the last game, man. It could be do or die there. But what is the magic number for you for the amount of points that we need to qualify? And you know, what are your thoughts on the final World Cup qualifying window for the USMNT?
1: Yeah. So I think two scenarios that I've like ran out. One we get four points and that includes a Panama win. The other is we get four points and it does not include the Panama win, which is a little bit more unlikely given the opponents and the fact that we've been good at home, but like, let's run through those, right? Both. So we get four points and one of those is, you know, the, the, the second game and then we, we draw Mexico or we draw um, Costa Rica. I think that's enough points with the Panama win. I mean, it is with the Panama win because we get past Panama for sure. And then the only scenario that, um, you know that's in play is the nine point window from Costa Rica which is you know would be a a, a miraculous thing and to be honest with you I think we have an eight eight goal differential over them so four gets it done if it includes the Panama win it just kind of locks it um, unless Costa Rica wins a bunch of games (laughs) 6-0 like um, three is nerve-wracking right like three gets us in over Panama but Costa Rica, when you actually, I know I said it's miraculous, but when you, when you actually look at it, when you actually look at it, it's pretty crazy. They have two very winnable games, game one and game two. They just are like, they're not, they're not like, it's like, I think Canada and then El Salvador, right? Canada's at home, El Salvador's away. They can win both those games. If they win both those games and we have just beaten Panama, but we lost to Mexico, right? We are going into Costa Rica. Costa Rica. And if we lose to them, we're going, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're in fourth. So, you know, like I know I've seen 98% out there. I don't feel 98% somehow, but uh, you know, gosh, let's just go get, you know, let's go get a win at Mexico for the first time ever. And just like say, let's, let's get it.
0: That would take so much pressure off. And we have a lot of nightmares from Cuba in 2017. So Obviously we're, we're carrying that baggage. We have every right to be a little bit nervous heading into this final stage of world cup qualifiers, but we we put ourselves in an okay spot. Not a great spot would have been really good if we could have gotten a result or even a win at Canada, a nine point window. This previous one would have been absolutely huge, but there's so many freaking scenarios out there right now. And Adam, that's, that's why I had you listen. Cause I knew you knew them, man. Well, far too many for me to remember.
1: Yeah. You get, listen, you get, any more than five points and it's a lot it gets yeah. done deal right it's all the the nerves will come in if we're if we're only getting three points you know four points is also pretty secure so you know it, a lot of it everybody said this but a lot of it just comes down, down to that panama game just get the panama game done just get it you know
0: but we qualify don't we you think we qualify i think we qualify
1: yeah yeah a hundred percent i do I, I do i do i it's it's a. Uh, It's a it's a less likely scenario than the than the Cuba you know for us to not qualify at this point.
0: Yeah, I would hate to see U.S. Men's National Team Twitter if we did not qualify.
1: I agree. Even I see it on a
0: good day, and it's not great. I (laughs) know.
1: Even fourth, I mean, I would shut it down. I'd I'd have to shut it down. I couldn't. If we even finish in fourth, which you know it's not a done deal. If we finish in fourth, we still should go beat the. I think it's the 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 Asian you know team, Mm -hmm. but. I don't want to do that. I don't want to travel to Qatar to play a playoff game. Like,
0: no, please, no. just, please. <laughs> don't. All right, Adam, well, I think we've broken down everything, man. I think we've given a pretty good recap of USMNT versus Honduras and a, a pretty decent preview to what's to come in March, man. So, Adam, thanks for coming on MLS Gone wild. It's been great to have your insight.
1: Blake, thanks for having me, man. This is awesome. And uh,
0: go USA. <laughs> Listeners, thanks for tuning in to MLS Gone Wild Season 4, Episode 5, featuring USMNT diehard fan Adam Turner. Be sure to stay up to date with all U.S. Men's National Team news by following USMNT underscore Stan on Twitter. His account is one of the most educational, informational, and reasonable U.S. Men's National Team Twitter accounts in the wild, wild west that is USMNT Twitter. Until next time, take care of yourselves and one another.